I knew what was working on country radio for the few females that were out there, and it was a little bit more on the the pop side of things and girls in sundresses, and I was like, you know, respectfully, that is not me. <laughs> and if that's what you're thinking, I'm going to be, thank you, but no thank you. A gentleman in the industry, he was obviously a radio host or something, he came up to me and my friend, and he said, oh, you know, I don't think I've met you. Which station are you with? And he stuck out his hand to my friend. My friend is white. My friend said, well, I'm with her. We also had our first female winner this year, so. Yes! Yeah. Sasha, she is an incredible artist. She is a force. Mm -hmm. Like when we think about the statistic that 0.38% of total airplay at country radio is by indigenous females. Like the stats are literally stacked against you. Somebody was like, heard you change jobs, what are you doing? And I mentioned my title and they said, well, how'd you get that job? The Megan Patrick in me wanted to say <laughs> what I wanted to say. <laughs> uh, Hi, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Uh, apologies for my frog throat, but it is the CCMAs, right? <laughs> uh, my name is Warren Coptic. I'm on the board of directors of the Canadian Country Music Association. Thank you so much for coming out this morning. This is really great to see a full room today. Uh, before we start, uh, I have to, on behalf of everybody here, do a spoken land acknowledgement. This is so important that we recognize that in the spirit of reconciliation, that we acknowledge that we live, work, and play on the ancestral homelands of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Sig Siga First Nation, the Gaina First Nation, the Begunny First Nation, and the traditional territories of the Sutina Nation, as well as the Stony Nakoda Nations. We're also present on the home of the Métis Nation Region 3 and all the people who make and work here in the homes of the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. Uh, it's going to be a great seminar. You've got a, an amazing host who I love and adore very much. Please welcome the host and creator of Women in Media, Sarah Burke, everybody. Thank you so much uh, for being here. This is the first live taping of the Women in Media podcast. And uh, the CCMA week is always jam-packed, so I thank you for your time and uh, putting an hour in your calendar for this. Fabulous women in country music uh, we are amongst, and I want everyone uh, to introduce themselves and sort of how they got into country music. Some of us really didn't plan to be here, <laughs> I don't think. Uh, we're going to start with one of my former colleagues, Nicole Ianturno, who is the manager of uh, events and sponsorship at SiriusXM. Thanks, Sarah. Um, my name is Nicole Torno, and really, I'm one of those people that didn't expect to be here. I originally wanted to be a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got to university and started, you know, kind of working in that space and realized this isn't really for me. And I started volunteering at a music festival um, probably about 15 years ago. And I was like, I feel like I could really do this. And I didn't know that that was an option for a career. Um, and then after that, I ended up working at uh, Karis and the Juno Awards. And then I also worked at Dynalone Records. And for the past uh, four and a half years, I've been at SiriusXM doing uh, the sponsorship and events for Canada. So really happy to be here. So thanks for having me. 
Megan Patrick, you probably know her face. Uh, she is next. How did you find yourself in country music? Because you were you were a sporty a sporty person growing up. Yes, um, I was kind of similar to you before. I mean, music was kind of always there, but before I really got serious about it, uh, I was a competitive snowboarder, and that was my my dream and goal for a long time was to go to the Olympics. And then uh, my senior year of high school, I had a really bad fall. I broke my back, dislocated my shoulder, snapped my collarbone, severe concussion. Um, kind of made me rethink things. <laughs> and uh, music was kind of the thing that helped me get through the healing process. It was a very depressing time in my life. And so I was listening to a lot of music and, and starting to write some music. And when I came out on the other side of that recovery, I had this this new passion and um, it felt a little safer also for my body, not so much for my ego, but definitely <laughs> safer for my body. So um, and I played in a lot of different bands over the years. Um, I mean, I played in a 10-piece funk band when I was in college, Tower Power kind of thing. And I played in a bluegrass band, which I call my gateway drug to country music. And uh, and then I eventually landed as, as a solo artist, and it felt like I just naturally, the songs I, I was writing, they were country songs. So now here I am. Here we are. Uh, Morgan James, next. MJ, when I was asking you for your bio, I'm like, whoa, you do all of these things? Take it away, sister. Thank you. Um, I'm Morgan James, aka MJ. Um, and yes, I'm the music director, radio host, uh, do programming for NCIFM and now Country 1047 in uh, Winnipeg. And um, I started 10 years ago at a pop station with these two women right here who have been friends with ever since, so I have to say that. Um, pop station then moved to a hip hop station which then flipped into a country station. We're going to hear about that, don't worry. Yes, we will. <laughs> um, and been doing it and in love with this industry ever since. So pretty cool to be here. Thank, Thank you for so. being here. Desiree Dorian is next. Yeah, good morning, everybody. Um, I make my home in Dauphin, Manitoba, which we are famous for being the home of the longest-running country music festival in Canada. Um, I'm also a member of the Opasquia Cree Nation, which is in Treaty 5 in northern Manitoba. And I got into country music um, mostly because I lived in a small town. I grew up in Dauphin. It's a town of about 6,000, 7,000 people. And we have one radio station in town, and guess what they play? Country music. <laughs> and my house is a house where we always had music on the radio. And so I grew up, uh, you know, five, six years old, listening to, paying attention to the lyrics of the songs. And because country music tends to be more um, literal than it does metaphorical, I would say, uh, the stories were easy for me to comprehend at a, at a very early age. And so um, that's when I, then when I started writing and, and, you know, I've been working actively as an artist um, in uh, country, in this genre, probably for, um, I don't know, 20 years or so. And uh, yeah, so that's me. And next up, and last but not least on the panel, Amanda Kingsland, who uh, you may know from programming the country brands in Rogers Radio. She just made a switch. She's now director of A&R at Universal. How did you get into country music? I think in all fairness, I was born into it. Uh, my, my dad's a Hall of Fame musician, and so I was the baby sleeping under the table with all the pickers playing on Friday nights. And um, I always knew I wanted to be in the industry. For a long time, I thought I'd be Reba, but I don't have the hair. <laughs> um, 
then I, uh, I did my schooling in audio engineering and, and was in love with live sound and production. Um, but just always country music and, and country radio was always my community and my family, what gave me country music. We had one very dominant country station where I grew up in the Ottawa Valley called CKBY. And that was where I found my music that I loved. And it was the station that brought the artists that I loved to me. So, um, after seeing my face around at tons of events, they were like, you should intern here. And then I found out what radio was and fell in love with, uh, when, when the music director explained that that was a job, because like many of you, I was under that illusion that like Jock just takes a track and throws it on. And I was like, somebody puts thought into what is played. <laughs> I was like, I could do that. Um, so I did that for a long time. And, and then I really fell in love with making better access for artists that I really believed in and trying to remove those hurdles. And, and uh, when I reached as far as I could in the radio platform of doing that, um, I realized I had to switch to keep, keep doing the good fight. Okay, I will quickly say um, I came from the rock radio world. And on my first day at uh, Sirius XM in 2017, my boss at the time took me for lunch and uh, was like, you could do country, right? And I was like, uh, I'm pretty sure I signed up for something alternative rock, but sure, you're in a new job. You don't want to say no. And five years later, I feel very at home in this country music industry. And um, thanks to everyone who's actually part of this panel for making me feel at home because I've had great moments with all of you over the last five years. First up here, you know, we're, we're having a, a discussion about women in media, women in country music. The stats are not good. Okay, we'll start there whether we're talking about airplay, representation on boards, why did you want to take the risk of getting into country music as an artist? Um, I'm going to throw this one to you, Meg. Because um, I'm good at it and I wanted to prove them wrong. Love the confidence in the response. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and Desiree, I'm going to ask you that, that same question too right off the top here. Well, you know, I watched uh, Don and Meg's um, songwriter series yesterday, and Don uh, Amaro said, referenced the Dumb and Dumber um, show where I can't remember which guy it was, but he's like, so you're saying I got a chance. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's kind of how I feel. It's like I, I don't really feel like I ever had a choice. I, I felt like I heard lyrics in my head from a very early age, and that's just innately who I am. And so to ignore that, side of who I am completely would, would just do myself a complete disservice. Did you feel taken seriously at the beginning of both of your careers, Megan and, and Desiree? Um, yeah, I did. I, I felt, um, felt pretty lucky with, uh, Warner when I signed with Warner, Mr. Cody sitting back there and, uh, Mr. Kane and, and Ron Lapata and part of, you know, I had, I had a couple different labels I was talking to. And the reason why I ended up signing with Warner was, um, because I, I felt, respected and I felt heard in that room and I felt you know because I went in there and I said I knew what was happening like what was working on country radio for the few females that were out there and it was a little bit more on the the pop side of things and girls in sundresses and I was like you know respectfully that is not me <laughs> and if that's what you're thinking I'm gonna be thank you but no thank you um, and I said, you know, here, here's what I envision here's what my dream is this is the sound I want this is what I want to say and this is how I want to do it. And I'm okay with it taking a little bit longer to get there if we're doing it the right way, if, if you're okay with taking a little bit longer to get there. Um, you know, and so I feel like I was, I was lucky in my, my first experience of having a deal because I, I did feel very heard. And Desiree, you've done a lot of this like completely independently, which is so boss. Tell me about finding your power independently. 
Yeah, I've done all of it independently. Uh, I'm not signed to a label, and I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a round of applause right there. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think early on, you know, when I was in my early 20s, I felt um, a pressure, I think, to be somebody that I wasn't. And so when I look back at the very first record that I cut, not because I cut one when I was 14 years old, but when I did my second one that felt more like my project, um, in 2010, I was doing a lot of stuff that really wasn't who I was. And, and I was doing that because I was trying to fit into this mold. And I didn't really have, I lacked the confidence, to be honest, um, about, you know, who I was as a person and as, as a woman. And um, it, it's only now, I think, in the last probably year or two, two years, three years maybe, where like I'm dressing how I want, I'm, um, you know, singing the songs that I want to sing, I'm saying what I want to say, and I feel like I'm really starting to just come into my own and just own who I am unapologetically. And But it, it took a while to get there. Now, if we s- switch to like some of the, the other roles in the industry at the table here, um, decision-making, having, having your voice heard at a table, um, Nicole, maybe you can speak to that at Sirius XM. You know, there's, there's a lot of dudes that work there. Yeah. But there there are things that make you feel empowered to make decisions and have your voice heard. What are some of those things? And have you ever felt a moment, whether it was at Sirius or another position, where you were not heard? Yeah, I think it's definitely important um, in any job, really, to have a team that believes in you. And really, you know, it starts with management. And if you don't really have a good manager... Um, maybe seek out a great mentor because those are the people that will support you and make you feel empowered in your role. And luckily I report to two amazing women that sort of let me run with everything. And from my very first day, they just said, you know, we have all the confidence in the world with you and you seem very capable. So just do it and make those decisions. Like don't second guess yourself. Um, speak up when you're in a meeting. So I always felt empowered at Sirius to come to a meeting, even when, you know, people maybe didn't agree with me, I would still voice my opinion. So, but even though I had that confidence, it was just supported. So it just makes it a little bit easier when you feel like you have that, that team around you. Could you recall something that people disagreed with you on that you stood up for? You know, there's a lot of uh, separate instances where there are those moments of uh, disagreement and you just have to believe in it in what it is that you're trying to own with like you know a specific project or how um you know the direction that you think something should be going and it sometimes takes time because you know when i first started working on the program top of the country um you know we had uh, it's a fantastic program that's like an artist competition program and every year there has been a lot of great males uh, talent. And, you know, that's not to take away from them, but there were a lot of great females. And I don't think that they were necessarily getting the visibility. And I was really fighting to say, you know, you know, maybe this person doesn't have a label or maybe they don't have a big team behind them, but like they can sing. And we should really be, if we're those people making those decisions in the room, like we need to step up and put them, you know, in that platform and give them the space and elevate them because who else is going to do that if we're not going to do it? I remember actually um, with Top of the Country specifically, you know, there's so many submissions to go through. You could fall into a situation where like 
if it's last minute that you don't get a chance to listen to everything, mm -hmm. right? And Nicole, for instance, being like, oh my goodness, I know the name is unknown, but like, check out this link. Like the people who make sure that every little piece of the puzzle is considered like you are very important in this industry. So we also had our first female winner this year. So yes, yeah. Sasha, she is an incredible artist. And if you haven't heard of her, I really suggest you should check her out because she is a force. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and there's a few other things that we should mention about Sasha. First woman to win top of the country, but also like a black woman in that space. Yes. I think it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's long overdue. Thank you, Thank you from our, our very passionate audience for, <laughs> for that. Uh, Morgan, decision-making around the table. You, you told me a little bit about your story. I have a solo episode with Morgan coming out, uh, and we could have gone on for four hours, I swear. But um, <laughs> you started in the sales end of radio and then made your way into on-air, and then now you're programming country. Um, did people always take you seriously? No. <laughs> and even and even now, still. There was one woman, I remember you telling me, though, that, like, built you up and, yes. and told you you need to be in the room. Yes. Talk, uh, talk name, about that. Her name is Linda Russell, and she had been in um, radio for, at that point, I think, 20-some-odd years. And I was—I met her um, when I was working for my— boyfriend at the time who owned a, a business and she came in to sell us advertising and we clicked. She saw that who was really running the business. Ah. Um, and, and, and we, we clicked. And then when uh, my boyfriend and I split, I found myself with no money, no job, almost no house. And I called her and said, Hey, um, just let you know, I'm no longer there. And she said, well, what are you doing now? And I think I was working at stitches at the time. And she said, no, no, no. She said, I, I'm going to get you a, an interview um, at a new station, at a new station that was opening, which was the, the pop station. Um, got, got the job and um, sales was great. Um, but I ended up telling off our morning show host in a conversation <laughs> and then was called to lunch by the program director. And I thought I was going to get fired. And he offered me a morning show gig. <laughs> um, so again, um, but, but ever since then I've had to really prove myself constantly mm -hmm. and even to this day. Mm -hmm. Um, and what about not having a background in country? How did you find power coming so, from, you know, R&B and hip hop and pop? So the assumption is, and has always been that I didn't have a background in country. My mom loves country. My dad, we two-step. He's the only man I've ever two-stepped with, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the assumption is I never listened to it. I listened to everything. Everything. You're a music lover. I'm a music lover, gen like genuinely. And so, but I, but I think what's fascinating is that what's happening in country music right now, I was just having this conversation with, with Megan. Um, there's a generation that, like me, we grew up on everything. We grew up on everything. And what's happening, there's a fusion um, in sound and, and, and influences. So what's happened is when, when they, I was the music director of that hip-hop station, when they flipped to country, at that time, the movement was starting to happen where you were hearing more R&B. You were hearing those hip-hop heavier beats. Um, it was just starting. So I was like, well, I, this, is, this is nice. So my ear was already kind of trained for it. But I still... 
the assumption is, is that why am I doing country? Who is this? Mm-hmm. Who's this MJ? You know, yeah. what does she know? And, and would you mind telling that, that festival story of, of the backstage? Absolutely, because yeah. that's a very important story for a couple of reasons. Yeah. So um, I was at uh, Country Thunder in Saskatchewan. I, oh, I'm a big fan of Hardy, so oh my goodness. Um, and we were, my friend and I uh, were backstage and the VIP tent or whatever interviewing some artists. And um, a gentleman, I was waiting to talk to someone, and a gentleman in the industry, he was obviously a radio host or something, he came up to me and my friend, and he said, oh, you know, I don't think I've met you before. Which station are you with? And he stuck out his hand, but he stuck out his hand to my friend. My friend is white. Mm. Um, and for a brief moment, my, my friend said, well, I'm Lori, and... I'm with her, right? <laughs> and and he looked at me, and, and and I was like, "Yeah, I'm MJ. Nice to meet you, right?" And you know, and and um, and and I think what I shared with you was that in that moment, there's some people who probably would have taken offense to that, or gotten, you could have been pissed. I I have been in the past. I've kind of learned though um, to. To, to kind of put myself in somebody else's shoes before I react, especially angrily, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, in that moment, I can understand why he made the assumption he yeah. did. Yeah. I really can. And because I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I wouldn't have made the same if we were at a hip-hop festival, mm-hmm. right? True. That That's being honest, yeah. right? So from that place um, of really understanding, um, you kind of move through being angry and frustrated Mm -hmm. that, again, I still have to prove myself. Mm -hmm. Hi, I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Now, we're going to get into a discussion in in a moment here about um, privilege and marginalized communities. Um, And we have some women at the table who have amazing things to say on this topic, but um, sticking with that theme of autonomy and decision-making um, for a moment, what is like a decision you made in your role where, you know, again, someone maybe disagreed or or thought differently, but you were in power of that decision and it didn't matter? That's every day for me. And I'm very, very blessed. It wasn't that way, again, in the beginning when I started at the organization that, I, that I'm still with and have such respect for um, and gratitude. It wasn't that way. I had to prove myself. Mm-hmm. But I think the two men that I report to now, especially Dave, Dave McLeod, um, yeah. we 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 had we bumped heads. I'm a very direct person, and he's more. He doesn't like conflict, right? Yeah. And so if if we don't agree on something, he's more likely to kind of, you know, take a back seat, and I'm more likely to go, come on, right? I'm, I'm I want to box it out to get to the heart of the issue. And so in the beginning, we we didn't really connect. And only through the, the experience now with, with uh, this country station, he trusts me. Good. He 
trusts me and he knows that, you know, when I, when you say make a decision, what decision, it's every single day. It's the making sure that, you know, um, women are represented, um, uh, indigenous uh, women for sure, indigenous people are represented, the music is represented, um, but it's all based on the music. And the trust. And, but again, Dave trusts me, mm-hmm. trusts me, and, and that had to be built. So I'm very fortunate. Patience is a big part of that too, right? To find the trust and yeah. Huge. Nicole and I had a conversation um, through text the other day and the word like pit bull was used, like feeling (laughs) like a pit bull or whatever. Um, Amanda, I know that you have, again, in in both of your roles been amongst so many men and you've had to make a lot of decisions. I mean, you told me a story last night about a, a recent decision where it's like, no, I don't like to do business that way. How do you deal with like those decisions when there's so many stereotypes associated with women and, and, you know, I don't know if anyone's checked out the new Meghan Markle podcast called Archetypes, but like the thought of being ambitious and, mm. and, and powerful, it's, uh, sometimes it's, it's not always looked at as a, a good thing. I'm, <laughs> I think I've like, I've lived through variations of myself on, in my career. And, uh, you know, speaking about like starting out, I, I kind of had the reverse role where I had to prove myself every single day. Like I, um, constantly underestimated. And, mm-hmm. and even in the position that I was in, in this industry where, um, you know, I've been supported by so many people, um, and felt like I, you know, kind of had my elbows up and hands out a lot to make decisions. Um, this industry really supported me, but then I'd still show up here and have people be like, you're talking about like at CCMA week? Yeah, like CCMA is where like, this is my community and this is the world that not only do I fight for, but I've, I've thrived in. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, I was telling you this, even this this CCMA, uh, which, you know, I've been in the game a long time and I don't even know what CCMA number this is for me, but- She's also on the board, by the way. I'm on the board and I've sat at tables like this a number of times and um, I had an interesting experience um, on Thursday night at the opening reception when somebody was like, heard you change jobs. What are you doing? And I mentioned my title and they said, well, how'd you get that job? Why is that the first question? Like, (laughs) um, stop. (laughs) And like, to be honest, the Megan Patrick in me wanted to say what I wanted to say, (laughs) uh, which was like, I paused so um, that's your that's your Morgan James. But I, yeah, I channeled my Morgan James. I pause, um, and I just I'm actually pretty good at my gig, um, and I've I've been here a little while. But I think that like especially when I started, I was constantly underestimated, and it kind of fueled my fire. And along the way, um, I've had individuals. I I was once on a board where I was reminded at the table in front of all the other individuals that I was the token and not to contribute. Jeez. Stop. And I let that fuel me and I left that yeah. board and I joined the CCMA board <laughs> at a national level where I felt like I can make change. And, and I've had amazing people encourage me on the way and I've had incredible supporters um, let me be feisty and, and let me step out and do things. And you're talking about taking risk and making decisions. Um, I had an incredible supervisor who allowed me to do something called Girl Power Hour that was very controversial at the time and then a superior of theirs want to pull it all because it was a risk and it wasn't going to be good radio. And at that moment, my supervisor had had a big choice to make and, um, and let, you know, really encourage me to run with it. She had a lot, Just for to, a a lot little, to prove. Little lot context. Prove. The girl power hour was, it was an hour of all female music, right? 
Right. Continue what you're. Yeah. Your no, it's just you have to pick those battles, and and um, and I'm I am feisty, and every single day I was asked if if it was the hill I wanted to die on, and the answer was always yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would say like ninety eight percent of the time it probably yeah. was. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, there's a there's a big you know, discussion around intersectionality with women and marginalized communities in music specifically. Desiree has been so helpful in how I wanted to approach this discussion. I wanted to thank you. And going back to what Morgan was saying, you know, you could, you can turn people away. You can uh, decide to brush people off if you feel like they're being disrespectful. Even a discussion about land acknowledgement this morning, Desiree you know, offered up something that I hadn't considered. And thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so I always appreciate that. And I have some notes here on the, I want to actually bring up here on the intersectionality of all these things. So Jada Watson, uh, you referred to this study in our sort of group email thread. Uh, she is a musicologist from the university of Ottawa and the stats that we're going to talk about right now, 2005 to 2019 media-based stats. A lot of people in the room would be familiar with media-based and uh, out of 1300, unique artists, 95% of them white, 1.4% black, 0.8% indigenous. So when we talk about women getting into country and, you know, how that's an uphill battle to begin with, there's another layer here. For women specifically, of 57% white artists, 32% are women. For indigenous, 0.38%, not even 1%. For black artists, 0.46%, 0.46%, not even 1%. You know, and Amanda and I were talking about this last night too. It's really easy to place blame in certain areas. And, you know, I have been like on social media castrated about things like this. I work at a, a radio station in Toronto called Indie 88. And uh, an artist actually sent me a message blasting us for our, our all white staff. And, you know, like I don't know what to say sometimes in those situations. But what I'm getting at here is you can fight or flight or you can have a conversation. I actually invited that person. I was still working at Sirius at the time. I said, listen, I don't make the decisions at Indy 88. I'm happy to raise them. I have no problem raising them. But I invited this person to participate in um, a discussion about this on a, like a pretty big level at Sirius XM, and they wanted nothing to do with it. So there's the anger. How do you approach all of these things? Because I'm sure also you get yourself into a situation sometimes where you're like, oh, they were looking for an Indigenous person to be part of this. That is a really good question. And it's one that I I really legitimately do struggle with sometimes. Like I know that um, there, I have been given opportunities. I'm not going to say that they were completely baseless because I, I do stand in my own power. Like I do stand up for what I do and I, and I do see myself as talented. But I do uh, recognize that I have been given some opportunities because of my indigeneity. That said, I also can't deny that I have really been handcuffed in some ways uh, because of, I think, indigeneity. And as I've gotten older, and I think what I try to do now is just be myself. Like, and, and I know everyone says that, like, just be yourself. But when I started writing songs about intergenerational trauma from residential school, um, and when I started talking about those things through song, through art, uh, that was really when I started coming into my own as an artist and when people started to turn, you know, and say, hey, like, who is that? You know, and, and I think that that was a part of me that I had denied for so long because I was afraid 
um, that this genre would not accept me as I am. And um, yeah. that's, that's just the best advice I can give for, for emerging, uh, particularly Indigenous women. Just be yourself and work your ass off. I do actually want to bring this up right now. Um, as a group, we've discussed, uh, Desiree does some work with the uh, Downey Wenjack Fund. So that's um, Gore Downey of the Tragically Hip and um, Cheney Wenjack. The two families came together. It's a, a nonprofit organization. And uh, we're going to be donating uh, some portions of our honorariums today uh, as National Day for Truth and Reconciliation is coming up on September 30th. Um, and I know you attach yourself to a lot of projects like that because of how, you know, how much... Th- that means to you, but maybe you can speak to like some of the things that you think would be more helpful so that those thoughts that you just shared about how you didn't think country music would accept you at the beginning. How can we go back to like getting people in the industry in a different way? Oh man, that, because it is, it is um, like when we think about the statistic that 0.38% of total airplay at country radio is by indigenous females. Like the stats are literally stacked against you, but you also can't deny that this is an entirely systemic and cyclical issue. This is what Amanda and I were talking about last night. Yes. Yeah. That like, you know, we need more mentorship opportunities for indigenous artists. I remember Um, you you came through a mentorship, uh, program. Was it with Manitoba Music? Yeah, with um, the Indigenous Music Development Program in Manitoba. We've got a killer program in Manitoba. Alan Gray Eyes was heading that program back in 2008, 2009. And it was because of his mentorship and his um, his work in this area that I was able to hone my skills as a business person um, and, and really apply my business skills to this industry uh, as an artist. Um, you know, understanding royalty collection and all of that stuff that goes along with, that is so crucial as an independent artist. Um, But, you know, going back to the systemic issues, I mean, I think that mentorship is key. Holding doors open for people, you know, as you're busting through doors to break the glass ceiling, holding the door open for women behind you on on your way up, I think is is crucial. Um, And, you know, I, I, I think that... On the other end of it, you know, we we look to DMDS, for instance, as the um, source to radio. Uh, but it's a like, music distribution program for anyone in the room who's not familiar. Right. So, so going back to the radio stats, I mean, that's typically where radio picks up their music, right? And so, um, theoretically, they can only play what they're delivered. And if the songs aren't in that database, it's cyclical in the sense that, like, the bulk of artists who are getting airplay are signed artists. And if you're not signed, then it's, it's more difficult to get airplay. But if you're not signed, then you don't get airplay. <laughs> so it's like a, a cyclical back and forth yeah. um, issue that, you know, it is systemic in that sense. And, and Amanda, I'm going to throw to you here for a, a moment too, because like we were almost talking about... Um, like on our side of things, the ratio, literally the ratio of what we receive, whether it's in a music programming sense, in a hiring sense. Um, you know, before I left Sirius, we were looking at hiring. And in the music department, I was like floored. I was like, okay, well, there's, I know what I need on my bench, on my team. And I don't have anything represented there in in the resumes that I got. Like, and I'm, I'm sorry to say this out loud, but like, I did not need another white 
male programmer, <laughs> you know? So some of that stuff is really hard. And again, nothing to take away from talented white men doing great things in this industry. And I've had some great mentors and um, some, you know, some great support over the years as well. But Amanda, that ratio, how do like, you know, on, if we're talking about one of the key themes uh, with National Day of Truth and Reconciliation this year, um, as it pertains to the Downey Wenjack team is reconciliation. So mm-hmm. like, you know, maybe there's a way to do a program of some sort to mentor people into this. Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing that we all need to do is is like kind of take inventory of where we look and who we speak to and what we're sharing and who that's reaching and take responsibility for whether or not that is going far enough, whether it's deep enough, whether it's reaching all communities, all pockets. And I think that... Um, that's twofold. I mean, I think that a picture of this panel speaks volumes. I, how, I, I think that seeing somebody in front of you speaking that looks like you or reminds you of you makes you believe that you can do it. Yeah. And that representation hasn't been present in numerous years. And so the little girl sitting in the front row who sees nobody that looks like her doesn't think, shit, I can do that. Yeah. And so I think a a picture of this panel of women who look different, believe different, got here differently is really important. And I think not only should it be shared by those who invited them here, but everybody attending and everybody around you because it's everybody's responsibility. And I think that as a programmer, things are delivered to you 100%. There's a a process. But But if if you don't have what you need, Go looking for it and ask the people around you how to find it. And I, you know, I really encourage everybody, if you love music, are you doing a good job in buying tickets to support the people that you want to see, in streaming their music, in asking for it? Because that makes a difference. If radio doesn't get the songs or if, if an artist doesn't have a chance at just as good a song as the male or just as good a producer or just as good collaborators... You know, because that's important too. It's one thing to say that you get a hundred songs, let's say in a month, and three of them are female. It doesn't mean all three of them are ready for radio, mm-hmm. which makes it really difficult because even if you played all three, your ratio wouldn't, you know. And so there is this onus, but it is cyclical, it is systemic. And I think that there's responsibility in everybody. If you love seeing female artists on stage, buy tickets, mm-hmm. stream mm-hmm. music. And if you've never considered how you don't see, enough Indigenous women, Black women on stage, then how can you, as a fan of music, go out of your way to get those things delivered to you? You, as fans, as music fans, can use your voice as well. It's so important. And I will say, five years ago, I never thought about any of these things. You have to get closer to, you know, seeing all the setbacks and challenges in order to care about it more. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first started working at SiriusXM, I, I was handed over this channel. Hey, you're programming this Indigenous channel. And it took me like a month before I asked the question, why isn't an Indigenous person programming <laughs> this channel? <laughs> right? Like there's, there's an onus on each and every person in this room listening to this taping after you know, we're having some uncomfortable discussions. I think having an open heart, mm-hmm. open ears, open mind to hearing people out is a big part of this. That's where it all starts, the basis of everything. Uh, but there is a, a segment that ends this podcast where it's all about lifting other women up. I would love for each of you to nominate a woman uh, in media. doesn't have to be 
front and center, could be behind the scenes, who uh, you think has an incredible story that could be told on this podcast. And we will start with you, Nicole. Great. Put me on the spot. Um, I actually have two people, if that's okay. Go for it. So on the artist side, I would really like to put forward Kelly Prescott. Show us mine. Sorry, Megan. Um, (laughs) Kelly is another woman who I met through the Top of the Country program, and I believe really strongly in her music. Um, I'm a huge fan of hers. And I... She also has a lot to say. She has a history of a family being in the music industry, so she's definitely seen it all. And I think she would be a fantastic guest. And on the back end of things, I would really love to suggest Alana from the CCMAs. Um, We work really closely together on the Top of the Country program over the past four years. And she's someone that, you know, Maybe a lot of people wouldn't, you know, you're not going to see her on stage necessarily, but she is super integral. And she's holding this week together. (laughs) Yes. And to put it, you know, making it all work. And she works so hard and she really loves what she does. And I think she'd be a fantastic guest. It's okay if you want to talk about Kelly. We can have a lot of Kelly Prescott in the room here, but I'm sure you have um, another woman that you... I mean, yeah, now I'm like trying to think of something. You want me to come back to you in a sec? a blank. Um, Sure. Okay. Okay. Morgan. Um, who I suggested when we last spoke, Linda Russell, she started in radio in the 80s. And I remember she would tell me stories about what it was like, especially when it was the boys club. The hey and toots. It, that's, that's exactly <laughs> what we would, that's what she would talk, but she would coach. Um, she, she took how, how many words are five, maybe five young girls who were starting in the, the industry. She really mentored us. She took us under her wing and, and said, you know, like, this is what you can expect from the guys. And this is what you have to do to kind of navigate this world. And so to be a million dollar saleswoman from in, in the eighties to nineties to even now, um, is fascinating. Her story is fascinating and how she got there. Okay, thank you for that. Yeah. Desiree, who did you come I, up with? I would nominate my friend uh, Jade Turner. She has an incredible story. Um, she grew up in Mistapavistic uh, Cree Nation, which is, I believe, also in Treaty 5 territory in northern Manitoba. Incredible voice. I've heard this girl sing live, I don't know, 100, 200 times. Never misses a note. Um, and, and just killer vocal range. And also an incredible writer. And... Um, yeah, I, I nominate her. I had the pleasure of being in the room when Don Amaro uh, just interviewed her for his podcast, which I'm an executive producer on, and I hope you'll all check it out. It's going to launch September 20th. It's called Through the Fire, and it's about how people get through the most difficult times in their lives and reposition terrible things. Jade was amazing, so mm-hmm. thank you. I would love to have her on my podcast, too. Okay, Amanda. Uh, I recommend um, Sharon Hines, who is uh, on the CCMA Board of Directors, and she runs Rogers Media. It's all in program. Um, so doing, you know, the work to try to change um, the everything in media from an EDI standpoint. And I think that that's really important. And I also love that she came to our board because she wants to see that change. And I think that that's amazing. And then I was also, it was funny when you said Atlanta, because I was thinking, uh, Karina, who who does all the awards and balloting, which is um, like an insane job, like in insane, <laughs> lots of pressure. Um, but she also, you know, sits on the, the Hall of Fame committee, which is one that we geek out on together. And and it's really interesting to see how much those who um, you know get from this community also give back to this community. 
Amazing. Okay, and in closing, um, downywenjack.ca, if you would like any resources on learning a little bit more about uh, the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation and how you can play a role in reconciliation. Thank you to our amazing panelists for being with us today. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. We're now podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators, but we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about food? So please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll pop right up when we have a new episode. Where's us luck? This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.